Dotnet Rocks episode 772 with guest Dominic Beyer. Recorded live Monday, April 23rd, 2012. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklins.net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering Gesture Pack, a powerful gesture recording and recognition system for Microsoft Connect for Windows developers. Details at gesturepak.com. And now here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much and welcome back to .NET Rocks. It's a good day here in Connecticut. It's one of those rainy spring days. How are you, sir? I'm well, my friend. I uh, just got back from driving my wife to the airport, and anytime I can go to the airport without actually getting an airplane is a good day. That's a good day. I like that day. You're about to do a lot of traveling, aren't you? Uh, here comes the flurry again, right? We got yep. some conferences. I am going to take a week with the wife in, in Mexico, somewhere in that stretch, so I, got, I haven't got much to complain about, really. Don't lose your head. No, no, I think we'll just stay on the resort. It's getting a little dicey down there. Getting? What do you mean, get? It's downright freaking dangerous. <laughs> well, just be, stay indoors. Wear a Canadian shirt. Yeah, so. I'm a Canadian. <laughs> Don't shoot me. Yeah. Don't take my head. So let's uh, start with Better Know Framework. I like it. All right, what do you got? Well, I know you're going to like this, Mr. Campbell, because oh. I found a blog post at NTech Solutions. And if you go to NTech Solutions at tinyurl.com slash signal R browser alerts. Nice. I like that name. Yeah, you'll see this post, browser alerts with ASP.NET 4.5 and signal R. And he says, I wanted to write a simple browser alert app, which, as the name implies, alerts the browser when something occurs server-side. I just want to show a little pop-up of sorts in the window, alerting the user of whatever happened on the server. And to take it a step further, I want to have the browser respond to something that occurs on a remote server using a webhook. Awesome. And he shows you how to do it. Now, this is the technology we've all wanted to be using, isn't it? It absolutely is. So uh, that's exciting. I'm glad to see this. All now, port 80, all in the browser, all ASP.NET, just doesn't get any better. Just all the latest bits, and you're off and running. That's exciting. Who's talking to us, Richard? I grabbed a comment off of show 751, and that was Mike Deal's show talking about data quality services in SQL 2012. Oh, yeah. And uh, this one is from, uh, I guess he's using a pseudonym, Stimulated... Okay. Nope. We won't hold that against him per se. Nope. Uh, and he says, I enjoyed the show as always. And there were some really good points raised, especially around the idea of the DQS API, which I think would be awesome. That said, from an ISV development standpoint, SSIS and the rest of SQL Server tool sets still bother me. Too many times I've encountered development teams who've crowbarred reams of application logic into DTSX packages. That's what SSIS generates. Uh, for the sake of, usually premature, optimization or as a, quote, time saver. Later they find they've become difficult to maintain, nearly impossible to version and diff in source control, and really tough to test. Great tools in the right hands, but I don't think the right hands are necessarily those of developers. And he's contradicting mm. me where I said, you guys should learn to use this thing. Uh, so far, I've yet to find a compelling reason not to just code it. Rhino ETL, that's Oren's tools. Yep. Uh, being my weapon of choice for most of those types of jobs. I expect that there are sets of circumstances where the benefits of SSIS outshine those of automated testing, version control, and maintenance, but in the context of application development, at least, I've yet to see it myself. And I, you know what? I have a tough time arguing with this. You're hitting on the key points, which is if I'm building code, I want to version it, I want to maintain it, I want it to be part of a source control package, and the way SSIS and the like work right now, it's not easy to do. They're more tightly tied to the database than they are to the actual development project. And that's a problem. There's no real excuse for them being like that. They're both using the same shell, but they don't actually play properly with uh, TFS or even something like Git. So, mm. and, you know, fair point. If you're going to have a maintainable set of code, it does make sense to program it with tools that uh, respect your development process. Respect the process, respect dude. Respect the process. The process is important. So I agree with you. And I'm sending you a mug anyway. All right. Write a comment on the .NET Rocks website at .netrocks.com on whatever show you listen to that solicited the comment, and we'll send you a mug. 
There's so many shows we can't keep them straight. There you go. So, before we introduce Dominic Byer, I need to tell you that Pluralsight provides comprehensive developer training online with over 250 hardcore developer training courses authored by MVPs and industry experts such as our guests. They release 10 to 15 new courses every month and offer a free 10-day trial, giving you 200 minutes of access to their vast library. Pluralsight offers over 20 courses on ASP.NET development and has several courses dedicated to understanding security, including a new .NET 4.5 identity and access control curriculum authored by, wait for it, who? Dominic Beyer. That guy? Try Pluralsight today. Subscription plans start at just $29 a month. Awesome. And with that, let me introduce Dominic Beyer. Hmm. Dominic works as an associate consultant for the Germany-based company ThinkTecture. His main area of focus is security in general and identity and access control in particular. He helps customers around the world implementing claims-based identity, single sign-on, authorization, and federation in their web apps, services, and APIs. Dominic is an international conference speaker and the author of Developing More Secure ASP.NET Applications, and co-author of the Microsoft Patterns and Practices Guide to Claims-Based Identity and Access Control. Welcome, Dom, or should I say welcome back, because we first interviewed you at uh, Hi, NBC. Guys. <laughs> hey, good to be back, yeah. Yeah, good to have you back. Yeah, it was about a year ago at NDC that you gave, I argue, the best explanation of claims-based security I'd ever heard. Well, because you related it to the business problem. Which I think cool. hasn't yeah. been done. Glad. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, I remember that day. That was a funny week and, uh, and a good interview, yeah. Yes, it was. And here we are a year later, and everybody's doing claims-based security now. <laughs> funny, Richard. That's actually a good point, yeah. They soon will. <laughs> Is that, you, you really think so? Yeah, and I, and I, I can tell you why. Why? Um, so basically, what I'm what I'm doing right now, yeah, is um, is investigating in .NET 4.5, and actually, and that is great news for everybody who is doing, you know, uh, I, I don't call it security anymore. I call it identity and access control, but because that's much easier to sell. Yeah. Um, right. Um, basically, starting with .NET 4.5, Microsoft took this claims-based identity model, the, the whole thing that they had in this uh, library called WIF, the Windows Identity Foundation, mm -hmm. and put it straight into MS Core Lib. So it's in the framework. And it's much more than just in the framework. Yeah. So first of all, we now have a namespace, which is great for guys like me. It's called system.security.claims. Yeah? <laughs> wow. Wow. And... and uh, what I think is the really interesting part here is that what Microsoft did is they basically took all the, the, the principal and identity classes they already had in .NET, like Windows identity and forms identity and generic identity, and injected a new base class to all of them, which is called the claims identity. Hmm. So basically, the moment you are compiling your application against 4.5, you are doing claims-based identity. No kidding. So... So whether uh, I'm I'm not sure how can you do claims based um identity if you don't have any place to get those claims uh, uh um authenticated. Interesting discussion, yeah. Um I had this discussion recently with other people, yeah. And um Microsoft used this term claims based identity in my opinion, yeah, to describe a number of things, yeah. One is, I think, the notion of modeling identity using claims. The other thing is the externalizing authentication part, like federation and, you know, security token services and so on, yeah? Um, and I think claims-based identity should be defined a little bit more loosely. I think the whole idea of that is to have this mindset of having an issuer of, an, of a credential and the consumer of a credential. And that could be, for example, your, your, you know, traditional forms, uh, authentication, uh, application that issues this credential, which is technically speaking a cookie in, 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 in that scenario. Yeah. And when, when the cookie comes back, it is consumed by the application. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and the way you model that inside your code, you know, that is, you know, these are classes. Yeah. And, and, um, before four or five, the, 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 the built in, 
notion was uh, role-based identity, right? right? You describe users with roles. Um, and as we all know, roles are not granular enough to, to build real applications, yeah? Um, I mean, typically you need more than just roles, yeah? Right. Um, so, you know, that uh, the, the point, an arbitrary credential, may it be your forms authentication cookie, may it be, you know, a SAML token, um, the, the moment this comes into your applications in 4.5, they will be represented as claims. So we basically made the role thing disappear. Everything's a claim. Mm, under the covers, everything is a claim now. But right. obviously, they, they couldn't break um, compatibility with earlier versions. So you still have your ISIN role and your all of the common stuff. Yeah, But the base classes of all these principles that we know from, from previous versions is now claims principle or claims identity. So right. they, 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 they surface all the the properties and methods and everything else for backwards compatibility, but internally it is implemented in the, by the means of claims. Yeah, so one of your claims might be the role you're in. Then is in role still works. Right. I'm having flashbacks of code access security here. Help no. me out help me out of this abyss. No, not at all. <laughs> uh, code access security was always about making security decisions based on the identity of the code you're running. <laughs> Whereas the principal stuff is making decisions based on the user who is running your code. Yeah. So that is a different model. Totally. Yeah, and and uh, one that didn't work ultimately. Cause um, it, cause maybe because it doesn't have anything to do with the user. I think uh, Codex Security, the, 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 the core idea and the engine, is pretty, pretty good, yeah? Uh, what didn't work is that Microsoft thought that the host can make security decisions um, on behalf of the user. Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. There was no, there was no bringing the user into the equation to change right. the, the the levels of security. I mean, if you look at uh, uh, how um, like the apps apps work today, uh, like Windows phones or uh, Windows 8 apps, for example, you have to opt in into several features like accessing the hard disk, yeah, accessing yeah. the internet. That is really the idea of codex security you are giving the application capabilities after the user has you know given uh, his consent mm -hmm. this consent thing that was missing from cas right yeah yeah and what it really ended up doing was restricting a lot of code that should have had access to run and so people are just like eh, turn it off and it's kind of like vista user access control yeah well i still like it but I I totally acknowledge that people disagree. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, okay. um, CAS. I think the the idea of CAS lives on in this you know this this uh, application models we have now for apps. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just not that it's uh, now. Um, I should say that the, the the whole policy part that that it is forced to do it like this is has gone away and was replaced by you know giving the user a choice. Okay, so let's talk about uh, some simple things that you can do right out of the box with .NET 4.5 okay. using claims-based security, even if you don't have any kind of, um, well, let's say, federated solution. Okay. I mean, first of all, um, this, this class, claims identity, which is now the base class of every identity in, in the .NET framework, yeah, gives you this collection of claims. So... Um, inside of that, you can describe the user using th this idea of uh, statements, right? So it's not just uh, Bob is a member of the administrator group, but uh, you can also say Bob has a purchase limit of $5,000, for example, yeah? So not just, I mean, what I like about that is you've got a sort of a claim, and then you've also got a value associated with it? Exactly. Okay. That's, I mean, that's more complicated, but I guess a good feature. Yeah, I mean, uh, the whole idea of, I mean, technically speaking, the, uh, a claim is a name-value pair, if right. you like. Yeah. Um, of course, there's, there's much more to it if, if we put it into an ecosystem, but um, at the moment, your developer yeah, um, programs against it. He basically programs against a name-value collection. Yeah? Mm -hmm. And obviously, now, having this standard base class in the framework gives gives Microsoft a chance to put all kinds of extensibility on top of that. Yeah, so we have um, this thing called claims transformation. That basically, when the, when an identity comes into your application, 
you can, you know, look up in a database, like what's his purchase limit and add this claim to the identity. And from that point on, it round trips and the application just uses that, that identity data point, if you like. Yeah. Um, we have a new, I mean, that, that all, um, for, for, for people that did that, but this is all known stuff. Yeah. But now it's right, right in the framework yeah? and makes it much, much easier, obviously, because you don't have to have to download something separate and install it and so on and so forth. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there's also a new idea around authorization. So in the traditional .NET sense, yeah, um, authorization was done using something like calling user.isInroll, right? Right. That was like, um, the built-in API or, um, the, the principal permission or the, the principal permission attribute and so on. Yeah. What I always didn't like about that was that it kind of leads you to code that mixes business logic with security logic. Yeah. Because you basically say something like, and if the user is in role, whatever, then add this customer. Yeah. And if he's not, then do something different. Yeah. And you know, that the problem here was that, well, uh, you can be pretty sure that the security requirements change over time, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not not just that role; it's maybe another role, and maybe it's this guy who isn't in any role, yeah. <laughs> but he he should should, should be also um, allowed to add this customer, yeah. And so I just did some months ago a major refactoring of a client's application because they baked in all these decisions right into their logic, yeah. And now the things have changed, and we had to, you know go through every single class and make sure that all these is in role statements match now their security policy, right? And uh, with the idea in 4.5 is that you have more like a model where in your business code, you describe what the code is doing. Basically, you're saying, I'm now adding a customer, yeah? And this information is handed off to a separate typically a separate assembly, yeah, which you can deploy independently. And this separate assembly basically sees, okay, someone is trying to add a customer and that's the, the principle that's trying to do it. Okay. So you basically can factor out all of your authorization decisions from your main code and version them independently you know, in both parts. Does this make it a sort of a data-driven security model then? I can have a, a list of here are all the different things we can do and here are the privileges necessary to do them? Yeah, exactly. So, so basically, in your code, yeah, in, in your main business code, you never say who is allowed to do what. You right. only say, I am now doing this. And I leave that, that the decision, if the user is allowed to do it, to, to a different part of my application, yeah? So yeah, um, it's basically acting on the notion of what they call actions and resources. Right. So there, there, there are resources I can manipulate in the system, and there are actions I can, you know, um, do on these resources. There's, there's something about this makes it feel very like aspect oriented programming. Basically, to enter that method, I have to fulfill these claims, and it's a separate call I make to decide if I can fulfill them or not. They're, they're yeah. isolated from the actual method. Yeah, I mean, you never say you have to, to fulfill certain claims. You, right. you only you only say, I'm now adding a customer. Someone else right. must decide if the current user has the right claims to do that. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, and the nice thing about that is now, if you do that properly, um, you can basically separate your application from your authorization. And if the authorization changes over time, which it will, yeah, <laughs> Um, the chances are very high that the add customer method will always add a customer. <laughs> yeah. Right. So you can, you, you, you can basically version and update them in independently. And I, I'm not saying this, this wasn't possible before. I'm just saying that now it's, it's in the framework and it's basically there for you to use. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik, who would like to thank Microsoft MVPs and RDs for their hard work throughout the developer community. As an influencer in our industry, you deserve great tools and resources to use in your own development. Telerik is proud to offer all Microsoft MVPs and RDs a complimentary license of their Telerik Ultimate Collection plus a five-pack of Team Pulse. This means you get 16 of their developer tools and their Agile project management solution. All you need to do is fill out a short online form. Head to Telerik.com slash MVP register to claim your license today. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks.
Now, when you say it's in the framework, I'm, I'm, I was looking around. And I didn't see that there was access to this in a Metro-style app or a WinRT app. Okay, yeah. Um, okay, so if we, if we talk about Windows 8, yeah, mm-hmm. I guess... I guess we there are two models right now that I can see in Windows 8. One is the enterprise model, and that is that that is a continuation of of the of the .NET stuff. Yeah, we are seeing right now. Desktop mode, yeah. Um, so again, that there, there are big news for Windows 8. For example, they claims enabled Kerberos. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that means basically that you're. Active Directory domain controller can now issue claims over Kerberos. Whoa. Yeah? They're baking claims into the core of AD then. Yes. Wow. Now, I, I don't even run AD, and I know that's big. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, actually, um, it's, it's basically a crew policy you have to enable, saying, like, uh, uh, now send claims. And then there's a, a UI that you can, where you can specify, okay, I want to have the email address of the user in the Windows token. Yeah. I want to have his, his, uh, uh, manager in the Windows token. Yeah. Mm. And the nice thing is in 4.5 already, I guess even in 4.0 with, with WIF, you simply get those claims now. There's no extra code you have to write for that. They are just in the Windows token and they, they know how to extract that. Yeah. Mm. Wow. And the other big thing for Windows 8 is also that they are also changing the authorization language. So we all know the NTFS ACL dialog, yeah? Yeah. This is claims-based. So basically, you can uh, write file access rules like saying, um, this folder is only available to people who report to Richard. Because it, get, cause it gets those claims from AD. So you don't have to do any more description than that. Right. So I want to get back to this discussion, but you were answering a question about Metro. So I think what you're saying is that uh, Metro apps are already sandboxed and adding claims doesn't really get you anything. Um, I'm not sure yet. I mean, in, in the current beta version, I definitely don't have access to that namespace. Yeah, I, I just mentioned the system security claims namespace. Right. Um, I, I'm not sure if that's because of the, the you know the, the beta version or, but uh, in Metro I see a different pattern emerge, yeah, mm-hmm. and they are basically all around this uh, web-based sure. um, identity protocols, like you know authenticating with Live ID and Google and Yahoo and, and yeah. Facebook and so on, and and that the Live ID integration directly into the OS, and you know that 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 you have support for. Um, you know, writing a, a desktop application, which Metro app ultimately is, yeah, but but embedding um, a browser in in a secure desktop style that that basically makes the switch to Google. You authenticate, you get back a token into the Metro style app, and then use the token to of uh, to access mm-hmm. Google secured resources, things like that. Um, that is currently what I'm seeing, uh, and and these APIs specifically these APIs to to, to do these web based interactions, which um, seem to be the way to go for the web. Yeah, are baked into WinRT. So you you basically just say, hey, give me a, give me a token from this URL, and then the the display goes gray, and the browser opens up, and you have like a like like a secured authentication environment, and the tokens get cached by that, and so on. So I I think for the Metro style app, at least for the the first version, but but I don't know, of course, yeah. for sure. They are they are shooting very much for this web identity, OAuth, OpenID style um, of model. Okay. Well, you, they pretty much have to, right? That the whole getting apps from the Microsoft App Store, I, I just see that influencing everything that's happening on the Metro side. Absolutely. And I guess um, since this is pr- all brand new, I, I guess um, if you're doing identity, in that world, then I guess we'll rather have to look out for what's what's coming in WinRT. Um, and, and as I said, at the moment there's there's kind of a, a split, yeah, between the Windows 8 desktop world, the enterprise world, I guess, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, and and all the the things with Active Directory and all that stuff, and the Windows Metro world, which is very much like embedded into this web identity ecosystem i think so you're thinking of these new security features i mean the rolling of claims based security into system is really the four five desktop and it's going to be different four five metro that's a good question i mean the, the thing is that they are definitely rolling 
modern identity into the operating system. Maybe yeah. the, the Kerberos stuff they're doing, maybe the WinRT stuff. But at the moment, as far as I know, there is kind of a, uh, a split at the moment. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, and it does um, seem to make sense that uh, Metro hasn't really been pushed as a as an enterprise kind of UI, right? Right. I I um, currently don't know, for example, and that may be because maybe it's it's not even part of the current public bits no. how Metro apps would integrate into AD, for example. Yeah. Yeah. True. Okay. And, and then you got to wonder how much of that it's going to be dependent on whether you're running server 2012. Right. To get all the new AD bits. Because if, if, I mean, if that's all, if that all works that way, that pretty much means that if you run Active Directory, that's your identity server. You don't need anything else. Right. As I said, yeah, the, 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 the first big thing is that they're going to, going to change the authorization language, really. Yeah. yeah. To, to be claims based. Yeah. Um, and I also look for the, uh, that was scary. Uh, I, I looked through the list of new Win32 APIs in Windows 8, and they now have a whole b a batch of APIs with the word claim in it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, the, I guess the the bottom line is that um, what I what I predicted a year ago is is happening really that Microsoft is kind of really using the claims based notion now um, f throughout their stack. Yeah. Yeah, they they're betting it. Through and through, and I mean, this now we're we're right along the fine edge of how much is this is an IT issue and how much is a developer issue? Because right. IT is now going to upgrade to this new version of Active Directory, and they're all going to be running claims whether they know it or not. Well, I mean, you you have to specifically enable it, yeah. But yeah. Um, from a from a developer point of view, I, I think that's great news because if you program against the claims API, you really don't care if the the application is doing its own authentication, if it's using a security token service, or or if, if it's using Active Directory, right? Because you right. don't program against the specific implementations anymore of these identity classes, which you know, like Forms Identity or Windows Identity, um, because they all they all have to have the common base class. And once you do that, then someone can just ch uh, change the authentication infrastructure, and the application doesn't need to know really. Yeah? So I'm yeah. looking up in the documentation for uh, claims in claims principle, which is kind of cool. If you're an ASP.NET, for example, you 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 get HTTP context that current dot user uh, yes. cast it to a claims principle, and then you have a claims collection in that principle, and then you can just go look at it, say the type property, the value property, yep. and yep. Uh, you're yep. off to the races. It seems like ridiculously easy, right? Yeah, it, it's 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 fantastic. I mean, the first time I saw it, I thought, yes, uh, finally, um, and that makes it really so much easier um, than convincing people to install this WIF thing and you know have ha have another dependency that they have to deploy and so on. Right. So yes, I, I think that's great news. Yeah. Well, it's been a great show. No, I'm serious. <laughs> <laughs> well, Richard, guess what time it is? Must be that happy time again. That happy. Happy time. We have two things to give away today. Uh, we have a Telerik Ultimate Collection, which is mm -hmm. going to none other than Ben Chester. Congratulations, Ben. Golf clap for you. Golf clap for Ben Chester. $2,000 worth of Telerik goodness. It's a $2,000 value, which is $7,000 worth of Telerik goodness, if you want to be accurate about it. But anyway, congratulations, Ben. And our second winner is Aaron Oliver, and Aaron gets a free pass to DevTeach Vancouver, May 28th through June 1st. Woohoo! Includes an invitation to the speaker's dinner at my place. That's right. You get to hang with Richard. And, I think you'll uh, be there, too. I will be there as well. Anyway, if you don't know what we're talking about, we, we have a fan club, and you can join for free, and we give away stuff every show. Nice. We're also giving away $5,000 worth of big technology Every December, once a year, handpicked by Richard the Toy Boy and yours truly. So go up to .netrocks.com and click on the big link on the right that says Win Free Stuff. Yeah. Well, you know, this is so cool and so obviously so easy to implement. Why don't we step through a few scenarios and, and uh, a, a few maybe not so obvious scenarios of where, mm -hmm. where we could use claims where we hadn't before to make our okay. lives easier. Um, you know, let's start with maybe the scenario that is now super easy in 4.5, which many people 
didn't even consider as being claims-based identity, right? And that is like, uh, basically, let's say you're having a forms authentication-based application, yeah? And what you typically do in forms authentication is you have your login dialog and then you, you know, validate the credential, then you issue this uh, forms authentication cookie. And this cookie only contains the name of the user, right? That's everything it can contain. I mean, there's, there, there are some extensibility points, but then you have to come up with your own serialization format and so on. So basically, you, you issue this cookie, which contains the, the name of the user. The next thing you're typically doing is you have the role manager or some sort of role management. You want to attach roles to that user that you can make decisions. So if you're using role manager, what you do is you emit another cookie, right? Uh, which, which contains the roles. And then you have typically other stuff like the profile and so on that, that you also link to the user and, you know, to, to fetch other things which don't fall into either the name or the roles category. Yeah. And with, uh, in four five, basically they, they have this new session, um, support. And basically, um, what a session is in the .NET four five or WF sense is it's basically a serialized claims principle. So basically, you 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 build up your claims principle. You, you put in everything that your application needs to know about that user to make decisions, like the name, the roles, maybe maybe his purchase limit, things like that. And then you just um, write down this claims principle to a cookie, and then you have a single cookie which contains the whole identity of the user, for example. And mm -hmm. when the user comes back uh, on, on the on the next round trip, you have a claims principle uh, available to you which contains his identity. Yeah, which is much easier than than uh, coming up with your own custom serialization formats and how do you preserve the data across round trips and so on. It's oh, now yeah. built straight into the uh, in, into the in the framework. Yeah, yeah, that is something that I hadn't thought about. Yeah, and the nice thing is, let's say at, at some point you are you are deciding, you know, let's uh, remove that forms authentication dialog and and move it to a separate. Um, authentication server. Some people call it a, a security token service. Yeah, so we can share these logons across multiple applications. And guess what? Since you are programming against the notion of claims, your code doesn't need to change anymore. You basically completely um, changed your authentication infrastructure, but the, the, your code can stay the same because you're still programming against the same set of claims. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, and uh, maybe you're starting with you know having your your authentication server. You, you know um, this 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 WS Federation protocol, which is now also part of .NET 4.5, yeah, is very much like forms authentication just across application boundaries. So in in the old days, when you said like um, authentication mode equals forms, you passed in the URL to your login page, right? But this right. login page had had to be application local. Correct. Yeah? Yeah, and with with WS Federation, you basically pass in the the URL to your login page, but this can be on a different server. Hmm. Yeah. So basically, what I did with my with my open source uh, token service is, I basically implemented uh, forms authentication in a separate token service, but this can now be reused across several applications. So you have a single application which only does authentication, and you have a number of other applications which just use that service to authenticate the user. What does this remind me of? Passport. It reminds me of Microsoft oh, Passport. Oh, jeez, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, Passport was... <laughs> I, don't, and I don't want to say that in a bad way. Well, it was one of no, the no, first no. single, single authentication, single sign-on uh, and, and you know, uh, I mean, passport was a good idea. I think yeah. it, it was it was just too early. Yeah, I mean, passport is now called Life ID, and um, and everybody's doing it. Like Facebook has its uh, authentication service, Google has its authentication service, and, and that's fine. Yeah, yeah. And, and li li Life ID works fine and is technically sound. And passport was technically sound as well. Yeah, mm -hmm. I just thought that passport was not a good idea for the times. Right, Microsoft had had, had this whole you know, trust and can we trust these guys to, you know, manage my credential thing going on at a time. And, you know, Life ID has, I don't know, yeah, how many billion users they have. Nobody cares these days anymore. Yeah, it, It's the convenience to have one account that you have a proper password for and you can reuse that account over over different well, The other unfortunate yeah. thing about Passport is just as they were trying to convince the world that they were a safe bet, uh, they got totally hosed with <laughs> bugs and errors in their operating <laughs> system that they had to fix. Yeah. That that time I was working 
at a security company and we basically had like, you know, uh, really, really bad uh, IIS uh, vulnerabilities almost every week. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, people were reluctant. So the to world move said there. a collective, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but times have changed, yeah. Yeah. And um and I think while some pe- some companies or um, including Microsoft try to convince people not to use passwords anymore, use something more secure, which didn't work out because uh, the the requirements were too high for the for the typical client, yeah. Now they are saying, hey, use your two or three passwords, yeah. M- make sure they are proper passwords, and you know we we protect your account. And and what's interesting now is that we could roll our own with this new model. I can create oh, yeah. a centralized identity service and then have a dozen websites, you know, for my organization or more, and Absolutely. and they all work off against the same uh, set of credentials. Again, um, and, and that's interesting, all the APIs you need to write this type of um, authentication service are now in .NET 4.5, yeah? Hmm. So again, that, that was ported um, over from, from WIF, basically, and now it's, you know, it's in the appropriate namespace in the framework, yeah? That's good. Yeah. So, Carl. Yeah, Richard. You ever embed Excel into an application? Ugh. You know, that's right up there with sticking ice picks in my ears. Nice. Because your end users have to have the right version of Office and all that stuff. Yeah. And it has that extra layer of dependency. What I want is just a way to take all that Excel goodness and plop it right into my .NET application. Well, you reminded me of Farpoint Spread from the old days. Yeah, 20 years ago I used Farpoint Spread, but now, of course, it's Grape City Power Tools Spread. And now, you know, they have this version that's both for ASP.NET and for Windows Forms in one package. Nice. Yeah, it's two different controls, obviously, but it's in one package, so... You bought one, you bought the other. Right. Spread.net from Grape City Power Tools. Smarter components for smarter developers. Yeah, you mentioned this briefly, but maybe we need to talk about it a little more. The your identity server on GitHub. Yeah. So what's yeah. the story? Yeah. Well, the story was originally that that I was writing a token service for several customers. Yeah, and I realized that some parts always stay the same. Yeah, like um, the engine, the core engine, how, how you make decisions, uh, which token to issue, and what claims go in there, and so on and so forth. And 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 some things changed, and so. Um, after you know getting um, learning about that stuff, I realized that you can basically write kind of a standard token service kind of framework starter thing, if you like. Yeah. So the the very first version was called Starter STS, yeah, and was really meant as a learning tool. And after you know some years of work, it it turned out that many many people uh, really liked the idea of having this the starting point to write their own authentication services. So, I mean, you can use the identity server right out of the box if you like, but um, my main focus was that I, I wanted to make it easy to to customize this thing for for the, the infrastructure, like where are your, your credentials stored and so on and so forth. And I, I had over 10,000 downloads of the first version, yeah, mm-hmm. um, on, on CodeBlex and... Um, and um, the identity server was the follow-up thing, rewritten to MVC and, you know, have a, a cleaner thing. The, the first version was web forms, yeah. And, um, and this is also really, really, um, really useful and, and um, popular, I think. And I often get emails from, from people that, that actually use that stuff. And, and I think like, wow, you're really using that as your central authentication server for big enterprises, yeah. Wow. Yeah, no kidding. That's kind of frightening. Although yes, it is. I've spent enough time with you to know that code's probably pretty solid. Yeah, I mean, it it is in use, yeah, for 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 two two years now, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So I've I think it's pretty solid. Yeah. Uh, another reason why people like to use uh, this um, this kind of lightweight identity server is um, that you can combine it with ADFS, for example. Yeah. So ADFS is a token service which does authentication against Active Directory. Right. And if you have uh, an, another base of users, yeah, which are like you know the, the traditional SQL Server stored users table thing, yeah, you can just plug that identity server into ADFS, and you you get all the goodness of ADFS and its extensibility and web farm support and blah blah blah, but um, have this uh, have my um, STS authenticate their SQL users. Okay. Huh. So that is another really really common thing that people do with that yeah to, to, to uh, combine it with um adfs 
I guess the real question is if the when with this stuff moving to Active Directory, what happens to Identity Server? Nothing. I mean, I I think Identity Server was always designed to do authentication against your custom user stores, you know, like right. Secret Server. Uh, like uh, Active Directory, lightweight directory services, for example. Or, you know, um, I mean, I have a, a number of emails where people um, wrote repositories um, for their Oracle databases or, you know, their Windows, you know, comp even compact framework. I mean, it's uh, it's basically for everything really useful that ADFS doesn't do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. ADFS by design, and I think that makes total sense, says our identity store is Active Directory and nothing else. Yeah. Because obviously there's there's much much more to it than writing an, an identity store than just validating a password, right? I mean you need you need tooling around uh, password changing, revocation, resetting the whole secret answer question stuff, right. sending passwords via email. I mean there's a lot of things you have to do to be a proper identity store, right? You know? And that is all built into AD. Yeah, I mean um, in in the sense of where where it makes sense. Um, and Active Directory uh, Federation Service is really just the security token service protocol head in front of that um, identity store. And that is totally fine. But uh, as I said, many, many customers uh, I have, they mainly use AD, but they also often have this external users, for example, yeah, uh, which are not in AD. Uh, and how do we integrate those? And I think in for that my STS is is pretty nice because it's 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 pretty compact. It's it's not that much to learn how it works. Yeah, it's using standard MVC, um, so that's why people use it. I think. Well, and it's been around for a while. I mean, in some ways, people, more people are going to trust this. It's been tested and and used. The I presume the AD implementation will be great, but we don't know yet. It's still beta, and and we just we just got a product name for crying out loud. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, um, that was also the reason I, I, I put it on GitHub. So I, I, I want to make it more transparent, the code. And uh, I, I also have a contrib project now on GitHub. And, and nice. there was a guy who al already, you know, added some code to it. And and I think that that's nice. Um, and again, even after all, I think it's still a great learning tool. Yeah, no, I I'm, I appreciate that you put the code up there because I'd like to read it. Just the way right. you think about how to uh, to do identity is, I think, important. Right, and you can step through it, kind of breakpoints and these things. Yeah, so mm -hmm. that's and to see how the 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 whole token negotiation it's it's hard to explain. Right, it's probably easier to watch it in action. Right, maybe it's because we didn't talk too much about federation. That's why I understand it better when Dominic talks about claims identity. Um, federation is, is in, in my head, and, and that's very technical, of course, uh, is, is, is a pattern on top of the token-based authentication and the protocols. Yeah, So federation is typically the term when two um, parties yeah, want to allow cross domain resource access and domain i i mean in this uh, in this uh, more in the loose sense like uh, security domains not right. necessarily windows domains yeah right so so with with this um single sign on the idea is that multiple applications share a single token server and so they can make use of single sign on sessions and all these things and with federation typically two security token servers are involved one is at party a and one is at party b and they have a trust relationship with each other yeah. Right. And from, from that point on, users from both domains can access resources, uh, in the, in the other domain if, if that is allowed by the, by the policy. It's very much like, you know, in, in AD, the cross forest, um, domain trust thing. Yeah. But, uh, in AD, basically two networks are trusting each other. Whereas in the federation idea, it's more like that applications trust other token services. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of like, uh, take my friend's word for it. Right. He's cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Without opening up the whole network, yeah. I mean, when you do in AD across forest trust, yeah, you have to be very, very careful that you're not opening up resources to the other party that you don't want to open up, right? Right. right. Well, it, it strikes me that we used to lead with federation because that was sort of the reason you did this is that you wanted to be able to federate rather than to do full trust because it was much more granular. You know, you could just exchange a few claims, that kind of thing. Right, but I don't. I never felt like that was a terribly compelling reason. 
the I think the the whole discussion of the problems with is in role versus you know applying claims seems like a much more valid model of securing an app. Yes, that's that's what I firmly believe in as well. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you know, you do claims based security because it's a better way to do security. Oh, and by the way, hell of a lot easier for you to have external people access only the resources they're allowed to have. Yeah. Another organization that's going to contribute to a project to participate, like all that sort of stuff, just sort of falls out of that on the side. I th- I think we talked about this at NDC too. In in that, you know, the some of these uh, claims um, is in role could be bound to the is enabled property of a control. In WPF, for example. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, claims. I mean, claims is is a totally abstract idea. Yeah, it's it's like a, you describe a user using a number of statements, and um, the way it was introduced in in .NET was basically a server side thing. Yeah, but um, nobody stops you from constructing your own claims principle in in WPF. Yeah, and and in fact, we we did that successfully for customer projects. Yeah, where also the UI uses a claims-based model to do its, um, you know, basically the, the things like graying out a button or restricting, you know, certain access, which is much better if, if you can do it in the UI than having the user fill out this huge form, press submit, and then say, hey, you are not authorized, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, just going right to the claim and using that to turn things on and off in your app. I mean, that's essentially what logic is. Right. Like and, logic you know, is. Yeah. And, and again, um, um, adding to, to what Richard just said is, um, one of the, the really compelling benefits is that once you are on this claims programming model, yeah, you can do things like federation and uh, allow access from different parties, yeah, without having to change your code substantially anymore, right? right? The code just wants to know if it can do it. I just right. want to know if I can do this right now. Right. That's all they want to know. And, 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 and back in the days, I mean, you know, you know that, you know, moving from, Windows authentication to forms authentication or even more exotic stuff like certificates, for example, required you to, to, to rewrite major parts of your code. Oh, yeah? absolutely. Well, then we get into the whole, the whole cloud discussion because that's now I have a whole bunch of functioning running outside of my organization and I yeah. still need to authenticate effectively. Right. Yeah. And uh, the cloud is by design not connected to any, you know, home security system. Yeah. Yeah. So with, with ADFS, and I, and I always do that in my talks, um, and people, you know, they, they really love that, yeah, is that with ADFS and the combination of all these technologies, you can basically do single sign-on with your enterprise account into the cloud, yeah? Yeah, and, it, and honestly, there's no other way to do this. Right. right? Like it, the, every real cloud implementation I'm working on today, they're all hybrids. Right. There's some stuff on-prem, there's some stuff in the cloud, and they right. have to get along. And it's uh, and the only thing that seems to be working is ADFS. Or some comparable product. But yeah, I mean in the in, in the Microsoft space it's ADFS and that's the that's a no brainer, yeah, because it's part of the license, so you get it for free, yeah. And it just works directly with AD, and that's what you typically want, yeah. Yeah. And I hate to say this because it's, but it's still true. Tell me I'm wrong, Dominic, but it's still true that we think about security at the end. <laughs> I'm getting these things up and running in the cloud and they're awesome. We shouldn't, but we do. Yeah. With mm-hmm. a test user. And then mm-hmm. it's like, okay, well, now we need to have uh, all of these users need to be able to access with different rules. Oh, mm. by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it, uh, what excited me, going all the way back to what you first talked about, this idea of extracting that claim implementation from the code so that it's in its own library, that feels to me like something I can retrofit. Yeah. I mean, it's easier definitely to do that than uh, than uh, I- introduce uh, an enormous m- amount of if branches in your code, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean... Um, I firmly believed, yeah, that, that, that security is still a feature, right? So, um, like, like every other feature that you're designing into your application, you have to think about security as well. But it's interesting because, you know, when I started my career in security, the, the first couple of years I worked in like a hardcore security company, which did like the penetration testing and so on. Yeah. And when I, when I transitioned more to this developer focused security stuff, yeah. 
people didn't like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I I did conference talks where not many people showed up. Yeah, because it had the title security. Yeah, in it. Yeah, yeah? right. And um, don't say and, the S word. Yes, and basically back in the days, uh, we we kind of told people what they're doing wrong uh, by showing them the SQL injection and the cross-site scripting and everything else. Yeah. The stuff I'm doing these days, uh, and, and that's why I like to call it identity and access control, yeah, is much more in line or very close to also like business rules and these kind of things, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and people started to to really like these technologies once they realized that with with the stuff like federation and so on, you can open up new business uh, uh, opportunities, yeah. Like you know, giving giving your customer single sign-on access to your application, which runs in your data center or mm-hmm. runs in the cloud, yeah, mm-hmm. or or this whole idea of that now you can federate your internal ads or federate with customers or with with business partners or whatever. Um, this technology has become really popular these days. Yeah, very good, Dominic. It's it's always entertaining and and thoroughly enlightening when we talk. And uh, thank you again for for telling us about this. It's great stuff. Thank you. Yeah, I love it. All right. (laughs) As you might already know. (laughs) Yes, your enthusiasm shows through. (laughs) All right. And we'll see you next time, dear listener, on .NET Rocks. Hey, thanks for listening. And remember, Pluralsight.com is where you can get 200 minutes of free video training by guests on .NET Rocks and other experts in the field. Pluralsight.com. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.